This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Welcome back to the second part of our discussion with Dr. Niels Feddersen from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. In the first part of our discussion, we explored Niels's work on organizational cultures in elite sport, culture change, and power relations that operate in these environments. But today, for the second part, we'll hear about something completely different. So we are talking about the new strand of research that Niels is developing. And this work is about nature-based recreational activities, such as paddleboarding and surfing, and whether and how these activities can have a positive contribution to well-being, sense of connectedness and meaning in these activities. So welcome back, Niels, and I look forward to cracking on with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Let's crack on. Yes, let's do that in a proper scouse way. Like I said, I never learned talking in the scouse way as well as you do. But so, yeah. So let's just talk about the background, maybe just to for our listeners. So we actually worked together a little bit on these ideas on craftsmanship and meaning. And we did this work as a bit of our hobby project when we were both at Liverpool John Moores University and with our colleagues, Richard Tahtinen and Michael McDougall and, and Olli Tikkanen. And mm. so we were looking at these ideas. We were quite excited and, and produced like a small quantitative, I would say very preliminary study. So it was more about exploring these ideas of meaningfulness and, and mm. that craftsmanship approach that you mentioned in the previous section as well. So. Maybe just share a bit of your reflections on, on, on this work we did and, and whether and how there's some kind of lead into your new project that touches on this question of meaning. Yeah, so I think on that work, the things that I found really interesting was approaching both life and developing as a craft. It's, it's something you can actually work on for, for the sense of just doing it. I think for a lot of people around the world, it's a it's something that doesn't happen a lot because there are a lot of different uh, challenges to to just modern lives. Some people like you have to make money, and and sometimes you have to do something you you don't like, and sometimes you have to do something that you're not really trying to hone as a craft. Uh, but approaching craft and finding meaning through um, either the people that you're with or the, your work um, or your activities or sport, I think that can be massively powerful if you look at the psychology side of it. So if you look at uh, depression, anxiety, stress, um, and you look at some of the questionnaires, if we take a quantitative psychometric approach, 
you look at the Warwick Edinburgh uh, questionnaire and the WHO five, they both touch upon doing things that you find interesting. And they both touch upon feeling close to other people. Um, and if I dive into the qualitative side of that, I think both of those are, are very close to craftsmanship, finding something interesting. Uh, just doing it because you're really, really ab absorbed in it, but also finding meaning through a community of, of peers, of people. I think those two are, are underpinning uh, a lot of the research here that we're looking into here with the, with the paddleboarding and surfing. Yeah, I think that was a really nice introduction. And I think really interestingly, like now we are moving to a completely different context. You are talking about recreational nature-based activities. So for example, uh, paddleboarding and, mm. and activities that happen in this blue space. And I happen to know that you have a very special relationship yourself to nature-based activities, like hiking, for example. So let's first talk about, we explored craftsmanship and meaning mostly in this more mainstream sport context in our little mm. study that we did. But now we are jumping into these nature-based activities. So maybe we want to do a little intro to looking at these nature activities. Maybe you can reflect a bit on your own experiences and then why do you think this is like a really promising avenue if we want to understand meaning in movement? Yeah, so we can start out coming from my own uh, personal uh, experience with it. Yeah, let's do that. Bas yeah, basically, my entire life, my parents have, <laughs> have have brought me and my little brother on on vacations to to different places in Europe, stuffed the kids in the car and a tent, and then we went somewhere and tented in Austria, in Germany, in Italy, uh, in France, and a lot of it was often in a campsite somewhere, and we always had to go on on these long walks and I remember feeling that it was so tiring and uh, and they were so long but it's something that I've taken with me from then after high school I went to Canada to live in Squamish British Columbia uh, both to snowboard but also be in a very different place um, since then I play a lot of football in my youth I don't do that anymore but I go ski touring I've climbed I've hiked uh, and currently, I'm now in a new job in Norway, which I started in September, but I went back to Denmark, uh, first to the UK, and then back to Denmark in November. I actually had and stayed away from Norway for five months, working from my laptop. And uh, different personal things transpired, and it's always stressful to move to a new country. And when I just arrived back here, I was in a 10-day um, quarantine. And I could feel that it was quite stressful. It was really lonely. Um, and one of the things I did every day was when I finished work, I can go straight into the forest about 20 minutes and then I'm in the forest. And I walked around there for two, three hours every day. And I might have felt stressed. I might have felt low. I might have felt lonely when I went out for a walk. But when I came back, I felt uh, much more rejuvenated and much more happy and optimistic and in touch with uh with myself and 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 with the world so that's really personally how i how i approach it um 
and also just swimming in blue spaces. I've really enjoyed that. More specifically about paddleboarding, I bought a paddleboard a couple of years ago and brought it around everywhere I could. Paddleboard in the Lake District at midnight. I paddleboarded in Italy uh, on a vacation, also with uh, with you guys, and I paddleboarded from Düsseldorf to Nijmegen in in the Netherlands on the Rhine. Um, so really enjoyed being in a sense of, of this blue space and, and paddleboarding. And then when I applied for this job that I'm in now, I also applied for the job in this organization who do this project. And I didn't get it, but the woman who did get it, Sophie, is I'm, I'm eternally grateful that she's actually the one who got the job because she is absolutely brilliant, is doing a, a fantastic job with, with these people. And I'm really happy to support that research um, or support that project with our research, which came in randomly in December. The research partner had jumped, didn't receive funding to do the project. And then I stepped in to, to do this and, and get help from you and our other colleague and friend, Richard in Iceland, and uh, a colleague and friend in Denmark, more on the qualitative side of, also on the qualitative side of things and also supplying. Well, supplying is not the right word, but he, Knud in Aarhus, he's also helping finding master students and bachelor students who can go and do ethnography and interviews with the, with the participants. So that's a bit about my personal entry to this research and, uh, and how I got into this research. Yeah. 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 That's a really nice, nice introduction to that. And in the project, the idea is to explore these nature-based activities, especially in that that blue space that you mentioned already, and how that can have an impact on people's well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite. I think we have to <laughs> maybe mention this. We are both from Nordic countries, so and Denmark, where you're from, and Finland as well. Like these countries are always ranked on the top of these happiness surveys. You know, the happiest country in the world i don't remember is it finland this year or denmark and and the other nordic countries are always Mm. there on top as well but at the same time there is also a lot of concern about these mental health issues depression anxiety burnout at work those Mm. things are all all the time in the news so maybe we can just discuss about this paradox a little bit how can we be happy and depressed at the same time yeah that is a very good question. Yeah, I think if you look at the data, probably where one of the some of the countries where people take the most antidepressants are some of the Scandinavian countries. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think what we measure when we measure happiness or when we're related to happiness in Scandinavia, it's 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 also the the absence of existential threats. We're pretty secure in terms of housing, food. There's very little violence. Mm, social security social security is Mm. extremely good um healthcare is free there is probably one of the biggest things is uh trust interpersonal trust in it's it's one of the biggest changes i've experienced when i came to the uk that in denmark i was always from a little from when i was a child i was implicitly told that i was a responsible person and the people trusted me and that was a I didn't have to earn trust. They just believed that I was a trustworthy person. And I think that's the case for most people in, in Denmark. On the other hand, when I came to the UK, I, I saw the other side of the, that coin, which is accountability, that I had to be accountable to someone else 
for everything I did, um, which I think is, is it's, it's very similar, but it's there's some critical differences. But I think trust is is one thing that makes us really happy. I also think that looking at uh, some of the questionnaires, like if you're looking at it, very psychometric focused, I think you can score quite high on, let's say, the WHO five, and still have a depression or still have anxiety because it doesn't exactly measure everything in 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 the human condition, and and life can just be tough sometimes. Yeah, things things can happen for for people, and it can knock people out of whack uh, for like for lack of better words. Um, and again, I think again, it's transient. It's not something. It doesn't have to be something that you should identify with your whole life. Uh, I think my family has been involved with mental health uh, charities in Denmark for as long as I've lived, because we have family members who who suffer from more severe mental or mental health probably what you would call illnesses and rather than disorders so it's always been quite close to us and i think people they move through when they move move through major life changes like i'm doing right now uh you feel more stressed uh you might feel a bit more anxious um and you might feel sad or uh or a little depressed i have some minor depression i think most people go through that yeah Uh, and focusing on this perpetual happiness or almost sometimes toxic positivity i don't think that helps a lot i think that's uh just like uh, we spoke about in the first part that uh completely neat functional cultures i think that's a bit of a fallacy to look at like that and i think the same it's a bit of a fallacy to look at people and think they're always positive happy and uh and at peace i think everybody goes through phases of of more or less stress anxiety depression yeah and it can also be really hard to be keeping up this image of yeah everything's great <laughs> and if if the cultural environment is like in the nordic countries like we are the happiest people in the world well why am i not feeling that way so yeah so those are also those cultural discourses and and if you can't live up to that narrative of you know mm. being a happy and successful person then it's also also hard and of yeah. course if we think of academic work of course the pressures in in academia it doesn't matter which country you are in like there are these same processes about competition mm. have to get funding all those things so yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of professions are not really like it might be more about the profession than in what country you are in in terms of your experiences of the work life yeah. yeah, and and on that, if you look at like how do you greet someone, probably most countries have some kind of standard phrase. How are you doing? In in the UK, it's probably be you're right, uh, and then you'd always say yeah, I'm fine, yeah, I'm alright, or just repeat whatever the other person said. But <laughs> I have a Polish um, colleague here that who told who tells me that sometimes the standard answer in Poland is to that question, how are you doing? The standard answer would be well, bad as always. And that's a, a bit more of a, a negative-based approach, but it also helps not having to live up to being perpetually happy all the time, which is quite interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it gives us something to think about. Okay, we did some little detours before we get into actually talking now about this research. So mm. let's talk a little bit, what are the aims of the project? What are the ideas underpinning it? 
and the actual practical context where it's being done. Yeah, so the project is run by the Danish Surfing and Rafting Association. And it's a project called Fri på Vandet, uh, literally translated to, to, to English from Danish, means free on the water. And it focuses on people who have anxiety, depression, or stress. Um, stress also burnout for some of them. And they can attend paddleboarding or surfing um sessions once a week uh basically from now i think the first teams just uh they went on the water about four weeks ago so if you're joining us from spain or italy or cyprus or some other beautiful uh hot country in europe or maybe from south america uh or the, the tropical uh areas of the world or um maybe from Africa, uh, in the Nordic countries, it's bloody cold. And this year we had minus 20 um, in the spring. So they just started back on the water and um, and go through these sessions once a week. There are 10 participants in a team with a couple of instructors, and it's basically that. Uh, and the idea from the organization was that the the activity of paddleboarding the focus that you can have on the water you have to focus on the blade going through the water and being mindful in a way about how you move on the water and focusing on your balance would bring people much more into the here and now uh, i think there's some philosophers they'll probably say that thoughts about the future that's anxiety thoughts about the past that's depression um, but trying to bring people into that's of course extremely uh, uh, reductionist way of, of looking at that. There's much more to it than that. Um, but it's trying to bring people into the moment, really focusing on what they're doing, focusing on moving the, the blade through the water, focusing on their balance. Uh, so that's, that's really what they want to do because you've seen that uh, similar projects, mainly in surfing, from the UK uh, has been extremely beneficial for people with PTSD. Um, and there is also a group with PTSD in this project, but they are kind of an adjacent project. So we're focusing on the ones who, who have anxiety, stress, and depression. And we are collecting data in a couple of different ways. And I think this is really exciting because we were brought in so late that it's, an, it's a lifestyle intervention. We can't really control everything as you would in a randomized control trial or a crossover design or anything. So instead, mm -hmm. we're collecting data with with these people uh, in a multiple multiple different ways to to really look at their experience from all angles. So we have the quantitative research with a questionnaire, which just went out to the participants yesterday, and it holds the Warwick Edinburgh uh, well-being scale. It holds a short form, the WHO5, a questionnaire called Meaning in Sport, questionnaire about relatedness to nature, and also a questionnaire on uh, behavioral activation. So we don't really have any questionnaires on anxiety, depression, or stress because they're already pre-selected in this um, in this 
project. Instead, we wanted to look at their well-being and, and their behavioral activation, if you're looking at the, the mental health side, and whether this involves uh, or whether this helps anything. We also collect data from the instructors every week. So every week we get a logbook or a diary from the instructors in the in the different uh, different places. They talk about how many were there, what did they do, did they did they go on the water? Uh, if the weather was bad, did they just go for a hike or did they do yoga instead? Um, and then we have a, a brilliant young guy called Jesper who is joining the team in uh, in one of the sites doing ethnography. So he is he's there to to be a participant participant observer. So he's there doing ethnography, being on the water with the participants, uh, sensing what they're sensing, experiencing what they're experiencing, having those little chats, and we're also combining that with uh, with interviews later on. So we're really uh, getting all the way around. I think the the only things we of the bigger uh, data collection approaches that we don't have would probably be some kind of physical activity measurement um, or uh, yeah focus groups. I don't we we're not supposed to have that no. So that's that's the way we're looking at it. Questionnaires with athlete, with the participants, logbook diaries from uh, instructors, interviews with participants and instructors, and ethnography. Uh, participant observation right there on the water yeah excellent and it's still like a very early stage just like you said it's in the just beginning so we would basically Mm. need to do another episode to talk about the findings but maybe you can just share like a few preliminary observations so far yeah um so if we look first at the the diaries from the instructors I find that extremely interesting to to talk about to talk to the instructors and look at how they relate to being instructors for this particular uh, population because a lot of the time we talk about coaches who coach uh, both adaptive sports but also um, but but also just able-bodied sports but here we're actually talking about uh, another kind of target group. Or different kind of population. How do they relate to someone who might think? And this is this is an ira- it's a lot about irrational thoughts and behaviors that might come into some of these people's uh, thought patterns. One participant thought that he would get corona from putting his foot in the water. So how do you actually deal with that uh, as an as an instructor on the ground? And you have ten other people that you have to safely navigate on the water sometimes at sea uh, so that that is like an extremely challenging position to be in as an as a coach as an instructor as a as a human being both showing that kind of empathy at that at that level so that's really interesting to see some of those reflections on how they deal with with that uh, and this dread that some people feel this dread of being sick or or being in a in and social anxieties if we look more at the uh, questionnaires that we've done with the participants, and these are super early findings, having just sent it out yesterday. Um, but if we think about the WHO and the Warwick, um, unsurprisingly, we see quite low uh, scores. Most of them, they are 
in what you probably say a possible depression. Um, I think there's only one of them but, uh, in a probable depression, but that's not really surprising considering the, the population. But they score generally uh, quite low on, on the Warwick Edinburgh scale. And the WHO is a little bit different, which is quite interesting because um, there are people on the WHO scale who score uh, having above average mental health, but uh, on the Warwick Edinburgh scale, actually score a bit lower, where you'd say they're just on the cusp of a possible depression. So again, we're talking about can the depression be co-present with actually having all right mental health in general? These are really early data, but it's something that we need to explore more in depth. Looking at meaning in sport, interesting is, is that most of them actually have quite a lot of meaning in sport, find a lot of meaning in sport. The scores are reasonably high. Um, the scores, they, they are in the top third of, of, uh, of what, we, what we'd see. There's only one that's in the bottom third. And I think that's, again, something that comes back to the Danish approach to life and society in general is that we have uh, sports unions that everyone are, are into from a very young age. So everyone knows what sports can do to them or know what physical activity can do for them. And, and we focus much more on, on sports and activities for happiness or for, for the long long haul, the long term, and, and would like to, people to be active their entire lives. So we actually see that they score above average to above average uh, on that. Relatedness to nature is is another one that's a little bit. Um, it, it, there's a lot of differences between the participants here, um, but it's also probably because the questionnaire is very. Uh, there are some cultural challenges with the with the questionnaire. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and and that's because one of the questions is about uh, my ideal vacation spot is a remote wilderness. We don't have remote wilderness in Denmark. Um, <laughs> you can't really walk yeah, anywhere I without a little yeah. town. Um, so, and and the same. I think if you if you uh, if you'd look at other countries where people they are outside all the time and live completely in tune with nature, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that they would would think about how their ideal uh, vacation spot would be something that relates them to nature. Um, mm-hmm. So there are some cultural issues, that, cultural things, and how applicable is it actually? But um, I suspect that relatedness to nature is something we that can be can can change and can develop quite a lot over the course of of the next uh six months for a lot of these participants Mm -hmm. yeah that will be very interesting to see and maybe to comment on on that meaningfulness dimension i think it's a really Mm -hmm. important point that you mentioned that Obviously, meaning is something that is bound to that cultural context. And in, in Denmark, there is a very strong sport for all culture and volunteering and sport clubs. And these collective activities are a very important part of the society. So I also think that probably there is this cultural expectation that 
movement and sport is something that can be an important part of a good life in the Danish context, as, as well as having this leisure time and these non-work activities and, and coming together with other people. I remember when coming to Denmark for my PhD, one of these uh, tips was that every Danish person is part of at least four or five different clubs. So you can start looking into like which clubs you want to join mm. and these Uh, clubs around sport and other physical cultures can be important as well. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's exactly it. I think that's I think that's what coronavirus has showed us all these lockdowns and isolation and loneliness. That being part of these meaningful communities, meaningful uh, societies, or, or something is is extremely important. Just living life online is not. It's just not cutting it. And if there is a question at the end of the questionnaire, what they expect, what they want from participating in this. And a lot of them, they say that they they hope to get new uh, relationships and new acquaintances, new friends. So, and it's it's a question that's both in the WHO 5 and the Warwick. It's about feeling close to other people. And, I th- and right now it's scoring on on the low side, if you're just looking at that one specifically. And I think if, If there's one thing that this project can do is make people feel closer to other people, uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest. Um, that's my hypothesis, at least. Uh, that that is that is absolutely key. Um, also, for if we draw it back to the research life, that a lot of us. This is my first postdoc, but this is my. I did my PhD in the UK. I did my masters in Denmark, and now I'm in Norway. So all of this moving around can be stressful, uh, at least for me. And you have to be open to and finding new people, finding new friends, finding new uh, communities yeah. wherever you go. And uh, and those disruptions can be can be tricky for for some of us nomadic researchers. Yeah, I fully share that. I think what you mentioned earlier that you know you had a long day with your computer and then you can go to the forest and and just walk around for a couple of hours there i i think that nature-based activities and that's also something that gives continuity to life if i think of my own running like you know if i was in finland or uk or denmark i can always go running and that's something that is very familiar to me and something that feels like home yeah that's a really good uh really good point continuity to life yeah yeah and you talked about having Basically, all your life, you had these nature experiences, going camping and going for walks and all those things. So that gives you that continuity. But hopefully with this research, we get to understand. I mean, at least some of the participants probably didn't have a lot of experience in, in paddleboarding before this project. So it probably takes some time to develop a relationship with new activity. And, and so hopefully with this project, that can be maybe better understood how how people start to relate to this new activity and maybe through that to other people around them and also the nature. So I think there are a lot of very interesting questions to explore and especially when we don't have a lot of work on meaning and meaning is one aspect of this project. So I think it can be very interesting to follow through. <laughs> mm, I think, yeah, I think I find finding meaning with what you're doing is uh is both for some a luxury but also for a lot of people very important to not grow 
sour or, or get into some more maladaptive behaviors, you're finding something meaningful. And I think this this is obviously a group of people who are very close to me, given my, my family and my experience in life, that I really want to support. And I think this is probably, considering the other research that I'm doing right now, is, is really in the very top end of of elite sports. And juxtapose that with this, I think this is, to me, extremely meaningful. I think the other research is so interesting and gives me a lot because it piques my curiosity of of how things work in elite sports. But this one is probably the one that, that takes the cake when it, when it comes to meaning. This is, a, this is so important uh, work to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I will link the, there's a project page on, on ResearchGate and, and there will be mm. some updates as things, things move along. So it's a good way to keep up to date with new things that are happening with the project. Yeah. And so I'm I'm so delighted to be part of this project and and as we talk there are so many interesting things to look into and just like you said it's also meaningful work that it's something that can make a positive difference to people's lives. Mm. So thank you so much for the conversation. I I really enjoyed it and we'll yeah, we'll continue too. with the research work from here. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I think time flies when you're having fun. Or talking about something meaningful, something that you find interesting. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.